Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, and welcome to My Favourite Work of Art, with me, Dr. Laura Jane Foley. Each week, I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is Sophie Hanna. Sophie is a best-selling writer of psychological crime fiction. Her work has huge international appeal and has been published in 49 languages. In 2013, Sophie's novel The Carrier won the Crime Thriller of the Year Award at the Specsavers National Book Awards. Two of her crime novels, The Point of Rescue and The Other Half Lives, have been adapted for television. With the blessing of Agatha Christie's family and estate, Sophie has also published three new Hercule Poirot novels, which have become instant bestsellers. Sophie has also published two short story collections and five collections of poetry, the fifth of which, Pessimism for Beginners, was shortlisted for the T.S. Eliot Award. I'm delighted she's joining me today. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So tell me, what is your favourite work of art? Well, I had real trouble choosing because I've always absolutely loved Carl Larsson. Uh, the Swedish painter, but I loved him and love him so much that it's really hard to choose one. So I spent hours sort of looking at images of all all the different ones, and I've I've actually got a book at home of several of his pictures. Um, I think it's called At Home, where it's like a collection of his sort of watercolours of domestic life. And I just found it so hard to choose. So then I, I narrowed it down to five and then four and then three. <laughs> but in the end, I chose, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Esbjorn doing his homework, which is a picture of, I think, Larson's son. Yeah. Uh, sort of leaning back in a chair and it's a beautiful sort of domestic scene um, and he's not exactly actively doing his homework. He, it, he more looks as though he's thinking about his homework mm. than actually doing it, but it's just a beautiful painting. And in the end, the reason why I chose that one rather than any of the other equally beautiful ones that I also love is that there's a red chair in it, and I suddenly realised, and I hadn't realised this, realized this previously, but I suddenly realised that... I've always got a thing, a particular thing, about paintings with red chairs in them. How interesting. Yeah, and I don't know whether this goes back to my childhood when I first saw uh, the Larson painting. So when did you first see it? What? I would have been about seven or eight. Right. Um, and my parents bought me this book of Carl Larson paintings uh, at home, it was called, and I just loved them. I looked through them constantly but unlike a lot of things that you love when you're a child and then you sort of either forget about or move on from or when you look at them you think, oh, it doesn't look quite the same, whenever I look again at anything by Carl Larson, I'm just reminded of how much I love his work. And then when I was thinking, which one should I choose for this podcast, I suddenly thought, there's a red chair. Could this be the origin of my obsession with red chairs in art? And there was a phase about maybe five or six years ago, it was just after we'd moved to Cambridge, 
where I went to one of the Cambridge colleges and on the wall of the dining hall was a brilliant painting that happened to feature a red chair. And I was instantly kind of annoyed that I couldn't own that painting. <laughs> and then it became a sort of mission of mine to find a brilliant painting of a red chair that I could buy. And so I went around looking in galleries all over the place for a red chair painting. And I eventually found one uh, in the Newnham Road Art Gallery in Cambridge. Um, so I now have a red chair painting, but it's not by Carl Larson. But, uh, but I, I just oh, wonder now whether this could have been the origin yes, of my definitely. red chair obsession. So <laughs> when I'm interested that you, you sought a painting with a red chair in, I mean, did you like the painting you bought or was it...? Oh, yes. Oh, I mean, I would, would not... I certainly wouldn't have bought just any old red chair painting. It hadn't painting. got that much of an obsession that it was No, not at all. Painting. Not at all. And okay. in fact... The one that I saw. And how I prominent saw, is the painting? In, how prominent is the red chair in the very painting? Very prominent. Right. Uh, and in fact, it's it's hanging on a wall in my house that's probably the longest stretch of wall because it's it's a wall in the stairwell, so it goes from a high ceiling down to the lowest step. Mm. So it's so it's bigger than just a normal sized wall in a room. And the painting is huge and the red chair is definitely the main feature and it's a brilliant painting. Mm. This story would be much better if I could remember the name of the painter. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't but that's my whole sort of approach to art. I don't I'm I'm less bothered by reputation you know, people sometimes say to me, what school of art do you collect? Because I regard myself as an art collector. Um, since about 2008, maybe 2007, 2008, I, my husband bought me a, an original painting as a birthday present. Uh, and that was by a local artist. We lived in Yorkshire at the time. And this local artist's name was Jane Fielder. My husband strolled into this at-home exhibition that Jane Field was having, bought me a painting as a birthday present. Huge surprise. And it made me realise that I didn't own any original paintings apart from this one. Mm. I'd never really thought about what I should put on my walls. And so what was on my walls at that time were kind of tatty framed Athena posters, just kind of like student digs level of mm. stuff. Suddenly I had this amazing original painting by Jane Fielder and I thought, right... This is the dawn of a new era. And from then on, I went to every art exhibition that I could find and just bought anything that I loved that wasn't too expensive. And in West Yorkshire, where we lived at the time, there's just loads of art exhibitions in village halls and libraries and cafes will have art for sale. So whenever I saw something I really loved, I just bought it. Mm. And my house started to fill up with paintings. And then... After a few years of that approach, then I thought, OK, I'm not just going to buy anything I love because if I love a picture of some flowers and I've already got 47 paintings of flowers, then maybe I'll wait and buy something that is something that I haven't yet got a painting of. Um, so I have a very probably amateurish approach. I just buy what I love. Um, and then suddenly I had this red chair obsession. So what I was looking for at that point was a painting I loved that had a red chair as, mm. a, as an element. But I rejected many red chair right, paintings okay. before I found the right one. Okay. Do you think your interest in the chair as well is perhaps because you're a writer? I mean, you spend an awful lot of time in a chair. <laughs> um, I don't think so, because there's other... I mean, I also spend an awful lot of time on a laptop, but I certainly 
Well, I won't say certainly. I doubt I will ever think I must have a beautiful painting of a laptop. <laughs> there's something satisfying about a chair mm. in art. I mean, there's a brilliant Van Gogh painting of a chair, isn't mm. there? Um, I don't think it's red. I think it's blue or mm. bluish. Um, yes, no, and Lucian think... Freud has done a painting of an empty chair. Yeah. Which is, is, is an old worn chair and, and you instantly think of all the people who sat in it. Yeah. You know, it, it does do yeah. that. A chair very much is, you think about the people and the occupiers of that chair, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, a chair, you know, not that there's anything that you should or shouldn't paint and obviously any painting of anything could potentially be beautiful, but there is just something about a nice chair <laughs> in a painting. But I honestly think... You know, when I was looking at Carl Larson's work and thinking which should I choose as my top fave for mm. this podcast, when I saw this one, Esbjorn doing his homework, I had that jolt of recognition and it wasn't only, yes, I love this one, it was, I've always loved this painting. It, it kind of connected back in a kind of emotional, psychological jolt mm. kind of way. I was like, oh, this painting from my childhood mm. that I loved then... And that was what made me think this is the root of my red chair painting love. <laughs> there's something very pleasing about there's a tension in it as well because there's a lot of vertical lines in the painting from the window frame and the, the because he sat doing his homework at a desk. So the desk lines, the door frame, the, the, the pictures on the wall, there's lots of vertical lines, but he's pushing against the wall with his feet. So the chair is tilting backwards. Yes. So there's that wonderful tension there of uh, almost a sense of movement you know he's about to collapse absolutely onto the floor. yeah and yet there is there is that sense of of movement but also that there's also a sense of order it's a very kind of straight lines orderly room and the colors are neatly divided up mm. within the picture mm, definitely. Um, i mean one of the things i love about larson is his use of color i'm a real fan of you know what my favorite painters tend to be ones that I think they use colour beautifully. So Larson is an example. Uh, I love Van Gogh and the way he uses colour. I love Dave, David Hockney, the way he uses colour. I tend to like um, painters who use colour in a kind of, I wouldn't say flamboyant, but maybe less towards the muted end of the colour spectrum and more towards the bright and colourful mm. end. But Larson is colourful but in a really soft way, which I think is amazing. That's one of the things I love about him. Mm, definitely, and, and lovely for children as well. I mean, you said you first saw this in his At Home book. Yeah. I mean, it's very accessible art for children, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, on my first viewing of this, when you said you were going to pick it, I, I just looked, and the focus to me was was the boy doing his homework. But then I, I noticed his, he had a reflection in a mirror behind, and it was quite some time after I started looking at it that I noticed that there was a, a self-portrait um, of Larson in, mm. the, in the in the mirror in the background. I hadn't yeah, seen yeah. that. I presumed it was a, a picture on the wall. Um, so it's nice to have him present. Yeah, absolutely, it? yeah. And one of the things that's so great about most of his work is that there's a real kind of sense of the narrative of family life behind the picture. You know, you could look at his pictures and kind of imagine what it might be like to be a member of the Larson family and to live in that household and uh, when you look at lots of his pictures together or one after another you start to recognise, you go, oh yeah that's Lisbeth and that's this person and that's that person and it's just so evocative um, more so than a lot of paintings that feature people. Mm. You really sort of feel 
the the humanness and the life that they all have from the pictures. Mm. You said that your parents gave you the book when you were younger. Did you grow up in a, an artistic family? Um, I certainly grew up in an art-appreciating family um, in a way that when I was a, a youngish child and indeed a teenager used to occasionally be annoying because my mum used to love nothing more than to go to an art gallery. So when I was little, I used to get art gallery feet, as I used to call <laughs> it, where my mum would drag me round art galleries and I'd be like, oh, can't we just go to the gift shop? Um, and definitely, if you'd asked me when I was 10, 12, 14, I would have probably had a lengthy moan about being dragged round endless art galleries by my mum. But when I was in my mid-30s and suddenly realised that I really love art too and wanted to go to art galleries myself, I think that might have been some childhood conditioning, you know, finally bearing fruit. <laughs> and you... I do the same with my kids. Like, actually, my daughter, when we last went to some art galleries with the children, which was when we were in New York on holiday, um, my daughter really loved looking around art galleries. Um, my son sort of moaned a bit about, you know, when can we go back to the hotel kind of thing. Uh, but even he was quite interested and they both love art. You know, they mm. both they both do art for GCSE. Uh, my daughter's in her final year of GCSEs and my son's in his first year of GCSEs. They've both chosen art and art is a favourite subject for both of them. Uh, my husband is an artist. Um, the basement converted basement floor of our house is his studio and gallery among other things so yeah I guess I guess we're a pretty art loving family really. yeah definitely have you written about art or yes artworks? I have um in my fourth crime novel uh, which is called the other half lives there's a big theme to do with art uh, so the main character Ruth has been through a traumatic experience in the past and the thing that helped her recovery from this traumatic experience was discovering a love of art and becoming very interested in art. Uh, she then... So she's, she's slightly recovered from her traumatic past experience. She becomes a sort of passionate art obsessive and art collector and then she gets involved with a mysterious picture framer so she meets him through artistic things. Mm. He's a framer. She loves art. That's how they meet. And they kind of are drawn together immediately. And then he confesses to her that he murdered somebody many years ago. And she obviously is a bit alarmed by this, but also <laughs> she's really puzzled because the woman he's confessing to having murdered is somebody that she knows is still alive. Oh. And so that's the sort of hook, that's the mystery, like how and why can he possibly be confessing to the murder of this woman who definitely is not dead? Goodness. What's going on? So the plot, the mystery plot is that, and mm. that's not about art, but absolutely that book is embedded in artistic sort of concerns mm. and themes. And I wrote it when I was at the height of my obsession with art. It was just after I'd been given this painting by my husband and started collecting art so I was spending all my free time wandering around art galleries and being an obsessive art collector and that was the frame of mind I was in when I wrote The Other Half Lives. How interesting. When you're writing do you think visually? Are you, do you know what I mean? Do you, do you picture 
the, the people, the faces, what you're doing, or is it are those two very different things, word and image? Um, some things I picture visually very clearly. Um, so settings and things like, I mean, settings, rooms, locations, all of that I picture very clearly. The characters I tend to see from the inside. My books are very sort of psychological. I'm mm. always inside the character's mind feeling how it would be to be them. So I'm not usually that conscious of what they look like to the outside world if it's a point of view character. Um, and what about drawing and, and creative work? Have you, are you a painter or an artist yourself? <laughs> when my kids were little, I used to do the occasional artwork using their... They had this sort of plastic box with wax crayons and pencil crayons in and the odd felt tip. And I started doing the odd artwork using those materials. And some of them were dreadful and not very good at all. But I did a couple that I really liked and I had them framed. And I think they're quite good in a completely eccentric way. Like nobody would ever buy them for actual money. But I have got a few of them framed and on the wall. And they've definitely got some weird appeal. Um, so I think it's one of those things that, you know, I was never taught art properly at school. I think if I were trained, I could maybe do something good art-wise, but, I, I mean, I don't really have the time. And my husband, who's a proper painter, gets very annoyed with me because I always say, I can never, I can never do art in any medium apart from wax crayons and pencil crayons. That's my medium, because that's what I've always done. And he thinks this is bonkers. He says, you know, use proper paint. I'm like, no, if I'm going to do anything, it's going to be with wax crayons like it always has been. Well, I mean, if you find something that works, keep <laughs> yeah, doing it. No, I love, it. I love The combination of wax crayons and pencil crayons works for me. Lovely. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in, Sophie. Thank you. Today we were talking about work by the Swedish painter Carl Larsson. Larsson was born in Stockholm in 1853 and died aged 65 in 1919. He began his career as an illustrator and designer and was strongly influenced by the arts and crafts movement. He married fellow artist and interior designer Karin Bergu, and they are both remembered for their home Little Heightness, which featured in many of Larsson's artworks. If you would like to see the artwork we were discussing this week or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag MyFavouriteWorkOfArt. The show was recorded at Wise Butter in London. The title music is Blue from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.